Anyway, who's thankful for a God who does stay? My gosh, if, if the things that I did could drive him away, he'd have been long gone by now. But I'm thankful that he endures my shortcomings and my sin, uh, my unforgiveness, my lack of mercy and compassion. And matches that equally with his love, mercy, and compassion for me. Uh, I'm so thankful that he is a God who stays. His love is under, uh, never changing. His love is unfailing. That's why we're here today. We're here today to celebrate a God that loves us. A God that found us in all of our sin. In our darkness, he came and flipped on the light. Amen. I'm thankful for that today. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, I am thankful for today. Lord, what a wonderful opportunity you've given us, Lord, to come into your house. God, to lift your name up, to sing honor, praises, and to give you glory for everything. God, you are truly deserving. God, I wasn't. But still yet, you sent your son to die for me. God, and for that, I owe you my life. God, I'm thankful for that each and every day. God, I pray that today that hearts and minds would be changed. God, that kingdom things would be done here. Lord, that everything we've done so far has blessed you. Has put a smile on your face, Lord. I pray that we would forever be children seeking after their father. God, put a desire in us today. Lord, light our hearts on fire. God, that we would seek after you fully. Lord, let revival break out in this country. God, and let it start here. Let it start now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a couple rare opportunities this week uh, to talk to an agnostic and a homosexual. Not in the same, but two different people on two different occasions. And I always find it enlightening to try to understand where people are coming from. And God put in me this word this week and it spurred from those two conversations. Because as I laid in bed one night and I was looking at Facebook and I seen all this rioting and the looting and, and the burning of buildings and flipping over of cars and all this evil stuff that is happening in the world today, I got madder and madder and the fury was growing inside of me until the point where I actually laid my phone down and I rolled over and I looked at Missy and I said, I can't anymore. I can't look at this junk. Because that's what it is, is junk. And it was starting to consume me. Because it was building a fury inside of me. It wasn't a, I'm sorry for what happened. It was a mad because of what they're doing. I won't go down that road, but I want you to know where these conversations spurred from. And I've always been intrigued by how people get to the point of where they are. So I was thinking down the road of my first conversation. I met with a guy uh, proclaiming to be agnostic, and I said, How did you get there? You know? How, how do you come to the point of this belief? 
said, well, he said, it's not a very long road, but he said, it started with my grandpa, and my grandpa was the pastor. And he said, my grandpa would come home from stories from his dad, and he would beat his children, and he would beat his wife, and he would show up with his family on church on Sunday and act like nothing ever happened. I said, well, man, that's, that's really unfortunate. He said, well, that's coming from my father. So my father turned away because that's what a man of God was. He didn't want to be confused. I said, well, you have to understand that's not what a man of God is. You have to know that first and foremost. And I said, not everybody that proclaims the name of Jesus acts on behalf of the kingdom of God. Jesus even tells us that. He says, a lot will come. And say, didn't we do these things in your name? I never knew you depart from me. It's a relationship with Jesus. The desire to draw closer and have that personal, affectionate relationship with the Savior who gave his life for you. So in visiting with him, that's kind of how he started out his view because his dad was dead set against anything to do with the church or represented that hardship that he had in his childhood and growing up. So he kind of grew up at a disadvantage of seeing the very worst of people proclaiming to be a man of God. And so when I started talking with him, you know, he said, well, you know, I just, I try to be the best man that I can be. And I said, man, that's great. I do too. I said, I do too. He said, if there is a God... You know, I think he'll show compassion on me. And I said, why? And he said, well, I hope the, the good I do in life outweighs all the bad things that I've done. And I said, I hope that too. I really do. I hope that for myself. I hope that for you. But I can assure you, if you died today, I said, would your good outweigh your bad? Because we had a little bit more history in there about... He's an alcoholic, he's done some things, you know, a little bit of drug abuse, alcoholism, you know. I mean, as we were talking, he was cussing and swearing and doing these different things. And he, he just kind of looked at me and he goes, well, at this juncture, probably not. And I'm like, so, if you died today, what do you think? And he goes, well, based on... The teeter-totter of good and bad, he said, I'd probably fall to the bad side. I said, you and me both, brother. I said, because it doesn't matter how much good I do, I have to have somebody to get Because the good is never going to outweigh my bad. Do I understand that? And then I started talking to him about reading the Bible. And I told him that he needed to get a Bible to read if he didn't have one. He said, I've got one. And I said, you need to pick it up and you need to read it because if you're trying to be a good man, this is the perfect book to tell you how to be a good man. I said, it tells you how to be a good husband. It tells you how to be a good son. It tells you how to be a good father. I said, it's all in there. It's a great instruction manual for life. If you want to live a good life, the Bible is the perfect instruction manual for living a good life. I said, but if you want to see real change in your world, I said, except the Savior, 
who died on a cross for you and let the book lead you. Don't just read it for instruction, but read it out of a following because it will start to guide you. He said, that sounds crazy. And I was like, exactly. It is, man. It's crazy. I said, how do you think I got to the point of talking to you right now about a God who loves me, about a Savior who saved me, and about a Spirit that guides me? I said, it wasn't no fault of my own. I was an adulterer, a drinker, had addictions. But God chose me to be His child. Just like He chose you. And by the end of our conversation, He said, Man, I've really got to have you talk to my wife because I think think it would be a good idea if I started bringing my girls and coming to your church. And I said, Man, you come on. He said, well, I don't have, you know, he had on a, I don't know, some kind of cut-off sleeve Darth Vader shirt with flip-flops on. I was like, come on like that, man. I don't care. I said, as long as you're covered, I don't care. I said, you got to wear something. don't have to be nice. Just wear something. He said, you know, I've never had a conversation where somebody hasn't just beat me up about it. Didn't make me feel bad about what I was doing that, that really tried to understand where I came from. And that kind of spurred on where I'm coming from today because I think a lot of times we miss the mark in in all of our good intentions to bring people to the foot of the cross because we can't save them. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Through no power of our own can we save people, but we have to understand That people need guidance because at one juncture you were blind to. At one juncture you didn't know where you were going. Second conversation. This one was a little harder for me. For one, I got this homosexual when he was mad. Um, So that made it a little harder for me to control my tongue, but I prayed a lot about it, and the conversation has taken place over several days. And he's generally upset about what's going on, but a lot of people that are upset about what are going on and are crying for equality for all mankind are not really seeking equality for all mankind. They're seeking equality for their specified group in which they belong. Equality for all mankind is allowing everybody to move and go freely however they please. That's equality for all of mankind. If I want to hire a gay person, then I can. If I want to hire a black person, I can. If I want to hire my own family, then I can. If I don't, then I don't have to. Our government doesn't allow equality for all of mankind because they step in and they set regulations to try to create this equality. What God gave us was complete freedom and equality, and human race keeps injuncting racism and things of that nature. Because God created all of us equally. We inject the sin. We inject the hatred. We inject our responses. And one of the greatest quotes that I've heard is, anger is not a sin, it's what you do with it that becomes sin. 
I'm genuinely frustrated at the way the world is reacting to what is happening. My gosh, how can we fall so far? And then I'm thinking in my own life. Boy, been there, done that. I can't really hate somebody else because I acted out of anger several times in my life. You know? Unrationally. Said things that I shouldn't have. But then we go back to that song, but we've got a God who stays. We've got a God that walks through the valleys of darkness with us to shed a little light so we can still see our feet as we walk through our dark times so that we can get to the mountaintops. Amen? He's there with us. He goes before us. He comes back and gets us, puts a light to our feet so that we can see to walk. Why? Because He doesn't want us to stumble and fall. That's where we're at with each other. If I don't agree with you, I want you to stumble and fall. I want what you stand for to fall. I want you to fall on your face so that I can laugh and mock you. That's what I want. We don't have to be like that, guys. Our God is not like that. He doesn't wish for us to stumble and fall. But He takes the stumbling and the falling when we do that. And guess what? He teaches us something from it. He grows us through it. And guess what? When we stand back up, we're stronger than we were when we fell down. If we could take that application and apply it to what is happening in our world and react to people in a way to grow them through it versus hoping they'll fall again, we could actually have change in this world. We could actually have true equality for mankind the way God created it. Because He created me just like He created you, Steve, and He gave me free will to make my own decisions. If I don't like you, it's not because you're different than me, because God created us the same. It's me and my hatred for you. It has nothing to do with God, it's my sin. It's my hate. It's my own infirmities that I want to put on other people. And because I failed in life, I want other people to fail in life. That's the mentality. That's where we're at. That's how you got this world that we're living in. Somebody dies. It justifies me to go through a brick in the window. No. Just because you hate something that happened don't mean you can put hate on somebody else. That's not equality. That's not what we're fighting for. And I don't know where all these bricks are coming from. Me and Bob were talking about how you could walk around Springfield for three hours and never find a brick just laying there. I don't know. That's a whole different story. But it's, there's not that many places that are made out of brick anymore. I'm just saying that. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. We've got to start... Where we can start. I can't start today and go out and call a mass meeting in St. Louis and gather all these rioters together and change every person there on my own. I can't do it. Only by the power of God could something like that happen, right? I mean, we go get into Missouri and we're baptizing 3,000 used to be rioters. What a day that would be, right? Amen. Plenty of water. Let's do this thing. I wish and I pray. But no power and authority of my own can I do that. So where does the change start? The change has to start in me. Because once I start to change, 
my wife starts to change. And once me and my wife start to change, my kids start to change. And once my household is changed, then our effectual small world around us starts to change. And guess what? If every household in this church today started to change, you would have 30 households in our community changing. Jerry reaches a different world than I do. Julie, Steve, Misty, Bob. Everybody has a different world that they live in. So if everybody's effectual small group world started to change because your house changed, now we're talking real change. We're not just change that we talk about, change that we pray about, change that we wish we could see, but an effectual change led by a God Almighty that is tired of seeing His children fall down. I believe that. I believe that He gets tired of watching us fall on our face over and over again because we pursue sin. I believe that He's given us a wake-up call and that He's giving us a chance and He's waiting to end this world so that a few more lost people might be saved because He wishes none to perish. We should be like that. These rioters and these looters, I don't agree with them, but I don't wish them to go to hell either. So what's the change? Somebody has to talk to them, not out of anger, but out of love. Right? Out of kindness, out of joy. So that you might build them, that you might grow them through the effectual power of Jesus Christ, our Savior. The change starts here. And I believe that God is waiting for people to say yes. That's all He's waiting on. If you look out through the Old Testament, what does God look for if He's going to change a country? What's He look for? A praying man, right? He looks for a man that is seeking Him wholeheartedly. One man changed a country. One man changed a world. Because he wholeheartedly sought God and what God had for him. I always think about Jeremiah because that dude had it a little bit rough. But he stuck to God's will because he knew that it was best. He warned a country. He got persecuted for it. He got beat up for it. People hated him because he was warning them of their sin and their idolatry. But he stuck to his guns and what God had for him. Listen, if this world loves you, you're in a bad way. But the default, because we don't agree that we have to hate each other, is a lie straight from the pits of hell. And it's destroying our country. I don't expect anybody sitting here today to agree with me 100%. I don't. Read this Bible, draw your own conclusion, and get to heaven and take people with you. I don't, I don't think you have to believe what I say. I want you to believe what God says. I'm just a human, just like you all. You don't have to agree with me, but let's agree on a common thing that we want as many people to get to heaven as God wants. And he says he wishes none to perish, so we have to start the change, and the chain starts in the church. Because we should be the ones walking closest to God. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. 
It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come together in unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why did he give us these things? Jump back up to verse 12. Why did he give us these things? He gave us these things for the perfecting of the saints. Who are the saints? The people that claim the name of God. We are saints and eternal heirs of his kingdom through his grace by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's the perfecting of the saints as we grow closer to him and the edifying of the body. It doesn't say saint plural or singular. It says saints to the body. The body of Christ. We're a unified body or should be. And if we're not, we should be well on our way to that path. We can't stop. We have to unify the body. Why? Because there's power in numbers. There's power in numbers. You know, like that, like Bruce always told me, he's sitting, because I was talking to him about church anyway. I love Brother Bruce. Uh, He's talking about if you've got a pile of charcoal, man, and you've lit it on fire, and it's, you know, it's not burning, but it's that smoldering hot where you like to cook, right? You take tongs, and you take one piece of that charcoal out, and you lay it by itself. What happens? It goes out. The fire goes out. The heat leaves. But guess what? This pile over here, this pile's still burning red hot. You know what the great thing is? If you take that singular piece that's burnt out and cooled off and you stick it back in that pile, guess what happens? Man, it lights back up. It fills the fire again. It starts heating back up. The perfecting of the saints and the edifying of the body. I'm going to flip back on you real fast. Just 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read through this real fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. It says, Now there are diversities... Of gifts. I want you to listen to that. There's diversities of gifts. What might be my strength might be your weakness. What might be your strength might be my weakness. But guess what? Like cogs on a wheel, we fit jointly together. We fit jointly together because our gifts come from the same God. They're gifts of the Spirit. It says, there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Spiritual gifts are given to every man to profit with all. Not for yourself alone, but for the edifying of the body. That's why I say it has to start here. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, seek it. Have you sought it? Do you know? Have you looked for it? Are we trying to engage? See, when we engage in battle, if we engage in the Lord's name in battle, if we go to fight the wiles of the devil, and I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about spiritual principalities, of the devil when we suit up in God's armor and we go to fight 
the war is over before it ever began. Jesus Christ ended the war. There's battles to be fought. There's territories to be won, and it says it's your mind. So you have to suit up daily. It says pick up your cross daily. Why? Because you're going to need God's protection to protect your mind, to protect your heart. Because the only person that can soften a hardened heart is who? God. I can't soften a hardened heart. God maybe give me the words to say to do so, but it ain't under my power. I'm not that good. I would like to think I am, but I'm not. God has to do it. So when we suit up in the armor of God, we have to know that the war is already won, but there's battles to be fought. But it's all for the edifying of the body. Back in Ephesians... Verse 14, it says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Anybody ever feel like that? Like, gosh, the world's just out to get me. The devil is out to get you and he is lying in wait for you to show a moment of weakness so he can attack you. So if you feel like that, that's probably what's happening. Because Satan doesn't want you to speak of good things. Satan doesn't want you to give somebody else joy. Satan doesn't want you to sing praises. Satan doesn't want you to build other people up. Satan doesn't want you to speak the truth of God. Ultimately. So if you feel like there's failure waiting around every corner of you, know that you're walking with the armor of God and God is beside you and you're ready to face that head on because your mouth will not be closed. Your joy will not be shut up but overflowing because we've got work to do. The change starts in the church. We should be walking closest to God than the rest of this world. That means it has to start here. Because we're a reflection of the light. We have to change. It says, henceforth, no more children. The biggest problem that the church has today is spiritual immaturity. What are you talking about? Well, everybody wants that fire insurance, but nobody wants to actually grow in a relationship with Christ. Heaven forbid that takes obligation, requires time. Nobody has that, right? My gosh, I might have to sacrifice something I want to do for the kingdom of God. Woo! Slow me down. Sounds like work. It is. But what you will receive is an eternal kingdom. See, God gives His grace and His love and His mercy freely through His Son that died on the cross for us. You don't have to work for that. But if you want to make a change for the kingdom, you've got to suit up and go to battle. Because there are other lies dependent on you. Whether we want to face it or not, God gave us a spiritual gift and gave us a purpose for His kingdom whenever we said, yes, I want you in my heart. He gave us purpose. We're supposed to be growing and, and changing more towards God every day and walking more and more like Christ is walking. We want to draw closer to Him and we want to try to be better and we want to try to do better. 
guess what? You're going to fall down. But if you say no to sin today, you said no to sin today. Face tomorrow when it gets here. If you can say no once, it becomes easier the next time. And the next time. And the next time. And you're going to fall in between. But eventually, before you know it, you can say no without batting an eye. And all of a sudden, that sin habit that you had in your heart is cast out by the good graces of a God who saves. Amen? But you have to want to fight it because it takes work to cast sin out of your life. It doesn't come easy for a lot of people. I wish every time I prayed for a sin to leave me, it would just leave. If God thought that that would be beneficial for me, I bet that he would do it. But guess what? I'm pretty stubborn and pretty thick-headed. And he's got to teach me a lesson so that I remember that next time. Sometimes I have to get on my hands and knees and crawl through it so that I can remember I don't like to be on my hands and knees crawling through it. I'm going to think about that. We have to start growing. This world cannot afford for Christians to stay immature. We're seeing it right now. What happens when you take a bunch of immature Christians that don't know how to fight battles in the name of Jesus Christ? Because nobody is stepping out trying to reach a world through love and truth. They're combating hate with hate, and you have to believe me. And if you don't believe me, then I hate you and you hate me. It says that we are no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cutting craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Did you realize that you are one of the strands holding the body of Christ together? Did you realize that? That whenever you let loose of yours, the body loosens? And whenever you cinch up yours, the body tightens? You may be the sole reason that somebody is sitting in this church today. My wife is the reason I'm here. Because she cinched up her bootstraps and said, this is worth me fighting for. My family will go to church. I'm taking a stand. And her pursuit of God led me to my pursuit of God. Your pursuit for God leads other people to pursue God. Let me say that again. Your pursuit of God leads other people to pursue God. Your pursuit of sin will lead other people to pursue sin. That pastor that beat his wife and kids was pursuing sin and he led two generations later to sin. You think your decisions don't have consequences they do. They carry heavy weight and they can be effectual for generations to come. I went back and I've read quite a little bit about Jesus' teachings. And I'm just going to kind of flip through these real fast. In Matthew 22, 22, 
It says, when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went away. Verse 33, it says, and when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. 1925 says, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? 1354 says that when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogues insomuch that they were astonished and said, which had this man, this wisdom and these mighty works. In chapter seven, verse 28, it says, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as a scribe. He was not immature in his doctrine. He was not immature in his passion. He was not immature in his wisdom. Because Jesus Christ had wholly the kingdom at hand. That was his full pursuit to show people that God was real, that God existed, and that he came not con- not to condemn, but to save. So when we're talking to people of opposition, we're talking to people of contrasting views, what is your goal? See, what spurred on my conversation with the homosexual was something that he said. He was talking about equality, and then he left a remark that spurred on an opportunity for hate. And I honestly, I don't respond to a lot of these things because that's a big, messed up, jumbly mess that I don't even want to be involved in. God provoked me to replying to this guy. And I said, what's your objective with that statement? What was your objective? I said, if you want really true equality, you won't lead others to spur on hate. So if I want people to pursue the kingdom of God, how can I say things that set them up for failure? If I say I'm a kingdom man, and I pursue Christ Jesus, and I want to be more like Him, and I want to talk like Him, and I want to walk like Him, and that is my pursuit, then why am I setting people up for failure? Did Jesus set anybody up for failure? He didn't set anybody up for failure. Why all this amazement? He said these people were amazed and astonished at his teaching and didn't understand of what wisdom he spoke. And they were just mind blown at what he was saying. Because he spoke absolute godly truth. Who does that anymore? Pretty rare. He spoke absolute godly truth. And he spoke it out of love. Not to condemn, but to save. We're failing, church. Look at the world around us and tell me that we're not failing as a church. We're failing in communicating with people. We're failing in growing in our relationship with the Lord. I'm not here to beat you up, but I'm here to encourage That you deepen your relationship in here because it starts in here. It starts in your own heart and taking every thought captive and making you obey Christ. Because man, this is a war zone. 
I know men, we, we may not understand it as much as women because women's minds, I don't even, I don't even. Men, it's a little easier for us because we're pretty, you know, one in, one out. Women, it's like one in, 42 channels, 3,000 different highways. And then what comes out of here is, let's not even go there. Um, but we have to take our thoughts captive and make them obey Christ. It's easy to respond in anger. You see it. These people are responding in anger. It's not justifiable. It's not lifting anybody who perished name up for glory. They're responding hate for hate. And it's enough. I'm here to say that I'm sick and tired of seeing hate for hate. I'm sick and tired of Christians taking the Bible and beating people down with it until they feel like they're nothing. I'm tired of seeing Christians respond out of hate. If you want to see it, jump on Facebook. And man, some of these people that proclaim Christianity are spewing as much hate as anybody else. That should never be. Because your cause is to save people. Your cause is to build people. Your cause is to lift people. To speak the truth out of love. Speak the truth out of love, not to condemn, but to save. Now, people don't like to hear it when they're wrong. You know, and a lot of people don't respond to, if you don't accept Christ, you're going to hell. All right, we'll see you. You know, a little compassion, a little mercy. Verse 17, it says, This I say for and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity, where? Of their mind. Number one battleground is your mind. A thought leads to sin. End of story. Flash of a vision, all of a sudden you're acting it out, now it's sin. Okay? Number one battleground is your mind. Having the understanding darkened, talking about the Gentiles, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, who being past feeling have themselves, hand themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness with, with greediness. When I read that, blinded, all right, so I've always said, you can't blame free people for not knowing what they don't know. So if you come up and slap them with the Bible, tell them to read it, it's probably not going to go over great because they're going to be blindsided by it. Right? If I start talking in, in verses and I start talking in, in Bible characters and I start talking in stories and tribulations and destinations to a person that is blinded by Satan... All I'm doing is this. I'm just flapping my jaws to the wind. Because they're not getting it. What do they understand? Here, let me get that door for you. Man, you having a bad day? Let me take you out to lunch. You thirsty? Can I get you something to drink? Hey, how you doing? What are you doing tomorrow? Because everybody understands love. 
everybody. Why? God is love and God created every single person here. God is love and He created everybody. That's why everybody understands it. It may be new to them. It may take them off guard. But everybody gets it and they know whether you're blowing smoke or not. And it's time to stop just talking about it. It's time to do it. We sit in here on Sunday and we talk about our love for the world and our compassion for the lost. What are we doing about it? Are we going to wait and then we're going to talk about it next Sunday and then we'll wait another week and we're going to talk about it next Sunday and then we'll wait another week we'll talk about it next Sunday? Or are we going to take the encouragement that we got from one another here today and we're going to talk to those in songs and hymns and good tidings and joy and in love? Because ultimately we want to get to the truth, but a lot of times people can't see the truth because they're blinded by Satan. What overcomes a multitude of sin? Love. So as we try to soften hearts and take off blinders, you can't smack them with Scripture all the time. I'm telling you, do what God tells you to do. I do not supersede Him. If He's telling you to tell them that they're going to go to hell, that's not me. You listen to God. If he tells them you to hit them with scripture, then you hit them with whatever scripture God gave you to do. Because we need to be in tune enough with God to know what to do. That's why it starts here. That's why we can no longer be cast to and fro. Like it says, we've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. Now, you might be 12 and growing up. You might be 85 and growing up. It doesn't matter as long as you're growing towards the light. says in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. If so, be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off all you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Just because you don't speak like me, just because you don't talk like me, just because you don't believe what I believe does not mean that I have to hate you. This is the lie that I'm talking about. And this person that I was engaging with and talking to, he kept trying to hate me. He wanted to hate me. Do you support Trump? Yes. But that doesn't mean I can't stand for you, brother. That doesn't mean that. I don't believe in 100% of everything he says. By no means. Nor should you. But just because I support him don't mean I have to hate you. And he says, yes, it does. And I said, no. That's where you're wrong, and that's where we have to take a stand that just because you and I don't believe the same does not mean that we cannot build each other up. I support you. I don't believe in your ways. I believe that he is blinded by Satan and living a lifestyle that is condemned, but there is still hope for him as he draws a breath, and it is my job to take him the truth out of love so that he might be saved. My goal is not to prove him wrong and win an argument. It's to save his soul. 
We can win arguments all day long. A lot of times it does no good for the soul. A lot of times it pushes the soul in the other direction. Winning an argument is not as important as winning a soul for the kingdom of God. We have to get our facts straight. We have to understand how we're reacting to situations. We have to understand how we're reacting to the opposition. Because we have to remember that it's not them, it's Satan. They might be blinded. They might not be able to see you. They might not be able to see love. In verse 26 it says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Why does it say that, you suppose? Because a child of the king has to give place to the devil. We are children of the king and inheritor of an eternal life through Jesus Christ. We're won over. We're saved. We're sealed. We're children of the king. If Satan wants a place in my house, I have to leave the door open. That gets real. Real fast. Guess what? I follow after the king, but if I give anger a place in my head and manifest on it, guess what's going to produce? Sin. Because I let my anger sit there. Because I let it turn into something. Because I didn't take it captive and make it obey Christ. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister grace Unto the hearers. How hard is it to minister grace sometimes? Whew. Yeah, that's a tough one. Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. Man, I was a joke teller back in the day, and a lot of them were not fit for the kingdom of God. That's been one of those things that I've pushed out of my life. It has no space in my mind. It has no space in my mouth. That's part of the growth process. If you're not there, that's okay. But we need to be growing towards those things. We need to be pushing ourselves to get rid of those things. I used to cuss like a sailor at work, never around my family. And then I'm like, what am I doing? Why? Why do I need to say those things just because I'm around a group of guys? I don't talk like that around my family. I shouldn't talk like that around anybody. So I started paying attention to when I said those things. I started noticing when I said those things. I started praying about those things. And I suited up and I went to battle. And I can assure you that if I smack my thumb with a hammer today, I'll promise you not the first word that comes to mind is a cuss word. And I'm not boosting myself up, but by the grace of God... He has helped me train myself that that's not my thought process. He has actively stepped in and changed my life. Why? Because I wanted change in my life. Do you want change in your life? 
Do you want to be the new man that God created you to be? Do you want to get rid of the latter? Do you want to bury the old and be lifted as the new? You've got to want it. God gives it freely, but you've got to want it. You've got to want to go get it. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be you kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This week, this week, I want conversations to be had. This week, I want people to talk to other people. This week, I want us to be intentional about at least one conversation with one person we don't know. And if they end up being a Christian, awesome. Spur on their walk. Build them up. Reassure them that they're not alone. If they're not, be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. Be merciful. Not slapping them with the truth, but building them up towards salvation. Because what is your goal? Not to win an argument. Your goal is to lift souls towards the kingdom of God. The church has to start being active. It starts here. It goes into your home. It goes into your church. It goes into your community, then the county, then the state. And all of a sudden, guess what? We've got a revival breaking out because God promises we humble ourselves, turn away from our wicked ways, and seek Him. He will heal our land. It's a promise. We just got to do it. The goal is there. He says, I'll do this if you'll do this. I gave you salvation. You've got to come get it. I'll give you grace. You've got to seek me. I'll open the door. You've got to knock. I'll heal your land. Who wants to see healing in our land right now? Man, we are a land hurting and divided under a corrupt government and so many bad things. I won't even go down that road. The difference starts here. The difference starts today. The difference starts in your heart. And what your purpose is, is to lift souls to the kingdom of God. Not to win arguments. I could care less about winning arguments. We're here to lift souls to the kingdom of God. Let's start acting like that's what we're here to do. Because people are walking around blind. They can't see to no faults of their own. This guy is blinded from two generations ago. The sin of his grandpa has blinded him. If I come at him with ruthlessness and unforgiveness, guess what he's going to do? Keep walking the same way that he's been walking. Because if you're spurred on by God to talk to somebody, God has already been talking to them. There is no doubt in my mind because why? God goes before us and prepares all of our ways. These tough conversations that you dread in having, God's there. These situations that are hard to face, God's there. I'm asking you to go to talk to somebody you don't know this week. Start praying about it now. And when you get there, God's already there. You don't have to worry about it. It's such a great thing. Right? It sounds easy. It's not. But let's do it this week. Stand with me if you would. 
Let's do it this way. Let's, let's start maturing in the Spirit. Let's start showing people what God truly is. Because there's a lot of people showing what God truly is not. There's a lot of people standing in the name of Christ beating each other down. It's time for the true men and women, children of God, to stand in their proper authority. God has given you a power. God has given you a purpose. And God has given you the place. We just got to step into it. It's time this week. If you want me to pray with you about a time this week, I pray that we all look for a divine encounter of a spiritual sort this week and remember to gird up. Remember to guard yourself. Put on the armor of God so that when you encounter these things, you can approach it with all the grace and the mercy that God has given you. Let's do it this week, church. Let's be the change. Let's talk to people. Let's encourage one another because there's plenty of the other going on. If you need prayers this week, if you want to be baptized because you're like, guess what, I'm saved, but I haven't put off the former, I want to know the new, my gosh, there's tons of water. We've had tons of water this year. We've got water everywhere. I'm sure there's puddles big enough in some county roads we can go dunk you in. Kenny, probably down your road. Guys, it's time for change. The whole world is crying for it, but they don't know where to go to. They don't know what change they want to be made. They just know that something needs to change. So let's show them what real change looks like. Let's show them what life-altering change looks like. Let's show them what happens when a country falls to its knees and begs for mercy from a merciful God. The altars are open.